For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Talk Show, your guide to the ever-changing world of social media. Welcome to the show. I'm Jeff C. And I'm Grace Duffy. And we are excited to be joined today by Roberto Blake. And if you don't know who Roberto is, he is the owner of Create Awesome Media, a digital agency focused on video marketing content strategy and the founder of Awesome Creator Academy. And he's also the host of Create Something Awesome Today podcast, which is a uh, chock full of tips on educating and empowering creative pros. Uh, and today we're going to be exploring YouTube analytics for live streams and new changes with the uh, YouTube studio and some other things with Roberto. So Roberto, thank you so much for being here. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really do appreciate it. Hope you guys are having an amazing morning. We are. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's roll into these changes. So YouTube announced several updates for creators such as yourself, Roberto. Uh, these include uh, better analytics for live streams, expansion of the smart replies for easier comment moderation and a snazzy new dashboard. So uh, all of this rolling out into the YouTube studio. Yeah, They've been updating for solely. I think each of these things have been rolling out solely over time. In fact, we talked about some of them with Stephanie Liu last time she was on the show. I think that was the end of uh, February, I believe. And so um, all of these updates were shared by YouTube and a video in its uh, Creator Insider channel. So if you guys are not familiar with it, they do uh, videos for creators about being creators. Uh, this was shared at the end of March. And then they followed up with an email to all other creators this last week, which is how we got wind of it. So let's go through these changes one by one. Uh, the one I personally am most interested in and the one that I probably am the least personally knowledgeable about are these new video live analytics. But let's take a step back and talk about the dashboard, right? So, okay. Roberto, can you walk us through what's exciting and new here? Like they said something about notifications and then yes. channel bulletins going away. <laughs> yes, there is so much with this new YouTube studio. It was once studio beta, but they've rolled it out of beta. And that's now the primary dashboard that everybody should be using. And it's just been tremendous because they give us so much information and insight into our channel. We first got a taste of it with being able to see the click-through rates and impressions on our content. So now it's easier for creators to realize that YouTube isn't suppressing their content or not distributing their content. It's just that it's not necessarily going to their subscribers and they're starting to realize that that could be a benefit because we can grow if we are reaching an audience beyond the audience we already have. In fact, that's the only way to truly grow on YouTube is you have to reach outside the audience you already have. So YouTube is a growth-centric platform, and I think that that is now revealed to us with these new analytics. And one of the things that I'm really excited about is the fact that we now have uh, some other features that were for power users like me in YouTube advanced mode, where mm. we can see a lot more detailed and granular data. I love the fact that I can actually see which individual videos uh, produced subscribers for me, for example. And so I think that this is really powerful. So when you're in the new YouTube studio, this is what you'll see in your analytics tab, um, which is very helpful to show you the overall performance and health and growth of your channel. And for the podcast audience, you get five primary tabs. You get your overview, which gives you a general summary of your channel. It also gives you some real-time analytics that update in real time about how your channel is performing, what's getting views right now, what your top videos are. And so you can actually see the live data. And I love clicking on that when you see see more because it tells you both the last 48 hours what's performing and also what's performing over the last 60 minutes. And you can kind of compare that and you can kind of see what is gaining traction and relevancy on your channel. And you can see whether it's new content or whether there's old content in your archive that's become very relevant again to people. And it gives you a real pulse on how people are responding to you and you can make follow-up content. Our good friend, Sonny Larduzzi, 
who's been, um, I'm sure, on the show many times before, has a strategy she calls the sequel method. Mm. And it means that when you have something that's performing, maybe make a follow-up video to that. It doesn't even have to be a recent video. You can see on my dashboard that there are some videos that I published in 2018 that because of uh, current circumstances might be more relevant for people right now and are gaining traction again. And it would be very good for me not only to continue to promote those videos if they're evergreen, But to also follow up with that with a sequel video, piggybacking off of that and then reference and link to that to my audience to tell them to watch that previous video and what I said then versus what I'm saying today. And that can be very powerful and can create a feedback loop that gets people to see more of my content in the future because they would have watched two videos. But I can only come up with that strategy by using this real data that I have that YouTube has provided us. And it's so great to have this to be able to look at. And so that is just one of the many powerful features that we get here. The feature that you guys brought up recently, though, has to do with live streaming, which I know is very important to the social media examiner community. And I know more people are embracing YouTube Live, especially with tools like StreamYard and BeLive and so on and so forth, especially with the times we have because it's allowing people to do conversations. So they're using things like that, using things like Zoom. Mm -hmm. And so the feature that you guys brought up is for the live streams. And what we do is we go over into our advanced mode at the top of YouTube analytics. Then we go to uh, publish format, which you have to click on more to be able to see. And then you can see how your live streams performed compared to uploads. And you also can see uh, premieres, which is a feature in YouTube where you can do an upload. Right. But it's kind of offering a live commenting experience in real time where you could interact with your audience. Mm -hmm. And you can also upload a video in advance and schedule a premiere so that comes out at a certain time. And people know that if they come in at that time, they can be part of the live viewing audience and basically host a watch party on YouTube. Now, I don't use that feature a lot because I've just seen personally, at least within my own audience, that premieres perform lower. And uh, there's some speculation that that just generally tends to be true across YouTube right now. Gotcha. I don't use it that often, but I do go live maybe twice a month, once a week. So one of the questions I have for, and I want to kind of talk a little bit between the difference. Why would you use a live video versus a premiere? Because they seem to kind of act that same way. So can you kind of break that down for our listeners on kind of the, the main, why would you use a premiere over going live? So here's an example. If you have a pre-recorded high-profile video, let's say you made something that we call hero content in YouTube, right? Mm-hmm. You had a big video. It was collaboration. It was well-produced. It's not about going I – w- I would say a premiere is not versus a live video. A premiere is more of a counterpart to a general upload. Gotcha. So a general upload is a recorded video, and so is a premiere, As you know, a live streaming video is a broadcast. Mm -hmm. And so premieres are a hybrid format where you can have some broadcast-like interaction in the comments while a video is being watched, more like a screening or watch party versus an upload is just an upload and then a live broadcast is a live broadcast. So the thing is a premiere is a hybrid right in between. If you're someone who loves live commenting interaction with your audience, Mm -hmm. you can build up anticipation. You can let people know ahead of time about a video and you can promote it and tease it and get people waiting, chomping at the bit to know, okay, at 2 p.m. on Friday, my short film is dropping. Or at Mm. 2 p.m. on Friday, the interview with Gary Vaynerchuk is dropping. And you can promote that and lead up to that for a long period of time in advance. And, you know, that is what the value and the power of that is. So I think of it as a way to promote and market a piece of content that you've worked on. It's an edited video. It's very polished. And you want traction around it, or maybe you have um, a team and they can promote it, or you have a community of influencers, or because it was a collaboration, they have a whole week maybe to promote it or a couple of days to promote to their audience, put in emails with a link knowing that, okay, that's the link. The video is set. It's perfect. We've reviewed it. And when it goes live, you have this massive influx of traffic for it. So I think that premieres are great for people who have an established following or have a big piece of content that they're willing to market or promote, or even that they may trailer 
trailers for, and they mm. might have then paid promotion on their movie trailers. So I think it's a premieres for a specific type of content creator. I don't think it's for a beginner or a general content creator, but I do think it's a very valuable tool if you have an over-the-top piece of content that you've produced. And does it live like a regular YouTube video after the fact as well? It's just it's like, yes. an, like you upload. Okay, just want to make yes, sure it that's lives clear. in perpetuity, and that's why I feel that it's for large event hero-driven content versus a utility content that is search, what we call help content. Mm -hmm. It also could be valuable for hub content that is really for the purposes of uniting your community and getting them interacting together. So I think that premieres are suited to hub and hero content, but not help search-friendly content. And I think that premieres should theoretically have some evergreen value, even if they're hero content, they should be a gateway to your brand. Gotcha. So, Roberta, you mentioned uh, more of the community management and more of the bringing your community back together. YouTube announced a new tool called Smart Replies to make it easier to manage those comments. Can you refresh us on what this is and then how to get access to this feature? Because I know that it's not available to everyone yet, but it is. uh, they did expand it to more people. They expanded it to more people and it's a slow rollout. Most YouTube features are not gated. There's only a handful of YouTube features that are gated by having a subscriber count or making certain requirements. This is not something that most YouTube content creators appreciate, speak about, or acknowledge, but I've made new YouTube channels for subcategories of my brand or for collaboration purposes. There's a new um, entertainment-based podcast I do with my friends so that I can talk about something other than business and I can just talk about um, whatever's interesting in the world. But in doing that, you end up, if you start a new channel as an established creator, you start to appreciate that YouTube gives you 90% of the same resources, tools, and access at zero subscribers Mm. versus any other amount. And that the other features that you would get aren't that useful without having a community to benefit from those features in the first place. Now, these smart comments are basically a branded version of canned response. Right, right, right. (laughs) That's really what smart comments are. But the caveat is they are smart and it's truly worthwhile to brand it this way because it benefits from machine learning. Mm-hmm. So it's giving you suggestions so that you have a quick way to respond. And this is very valuable for people who are inundated with a lot of comments and want to engage with their community or at least acknowledge people. Um, even if you don't want to have a very nuanced conversation in the comment section, you can at least acknowledge that you read it for people. And that could mean the world to them just to hear two words from a creator that they admire is more than enough for some people um, and it makes their entire day. So YouTube is just giving us a quick utility here. You might remember that we've talked before about Google having um, smart contextual response in Gmail. Exactly, yeah. And this is basically an expansion of that idea brought to the YouTube content creators and their community. So this is really an expansion of Google's machine learning tools. And I think that this is also, not to be conspiratorial, but it's like, <laughs> it's uh, for them, the machine learning and the way that we choose to communicate and interact is going to feed them more data about human communication. And I think that that's really good for their machine learning and AI. And I think that that is a plan for future applications to understand how an actual human being communicates conversationally in tone with other human beings. And I think that between Gmail and YouTube and it learning from how we interact, that that is going to help the AI understand humans a lot better and mimic our communication. So we're all teaching the Terminators how to influence. <laughs> right. It's Skynet so, yeah. all over again, isn't so, it? Yeah. Yeah. So, thank you. This is Skynet's uh, master plan <laughs> right. to teach the Terminators how to pass it's, as better humans and infiltrate. Exactly. Well, you got to watch out for those Gmail responses, though, because my Gmail, the default response for everything is, yeah, sure, right on it. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> yeah. So um, it sounds about right. Um, I want to pull up this question that uh, Jen has dropped in for us uh, he's from Tim over on Crowdcast. Do they apply for live shows on YouTube? Because they can see that uh, if they'd be really there. So is does everybody have access to live? Day one, okay. once you make a YouTube account, what you have to do is verify that you're a human with your phone number. And then you have to have had your YouTube account for 24 hours and it has to have been verified for you to be a human for 24 hours and immediately after that even with zero subscribers you can immediately start live broadcasting on youtube from your desktop 
However, to live broadcast from mobile, you need 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. And here's the reason why. We've seen horrible events broadcast live before, and it's been problematic. This was a countermeasure due to the popularity of YouTube based on what happened with Facebook last year with live streams. And this happened many times, and we've seen things with Periscope in previous years. Mm -hmm. And so YouTube, I think, very smartly decided that before they have an incident like that, especially with the scrutiny that they are generally under in the media and Google scrutiny, you know, in general, Mm -hmm. that they wanted to preemptively, as much as the community dislikes this, they wanted to gate that when it comes to mobile devices, because it's less likely that something is going to happen during a live broadcast that's extraordinarily tragic or problematic if someone's doing it from their desktop, because it's generally going to be a more controlled environment from a desktop or a laptop. But when it's a mobile phone, it can be anywhere, it can be anything. And it's very challenging to deal with that. So most people's criticisms of YouTube not giving everybody all features at zero subscribers and zero views is because most people don't understand the concept of community vetting. Mm -hmm. And so the thing is, community vetting means that if you have an audience that's built up of real human beings, and we can verify that with a thousand subscribers and 4,000 hours of watch time, we're be able to say within good faith that you've made some effort toward your content right. and toward your ability to hold the attention of genuine, real human beings because that's challenging enough to fake. And we can say that you have the commodity of real attention and we can, in good faith, believe that there are a thousand humans that gave you 4,000 hours of watch time have verified that you're not going to do something terrible And that you're not a bad actor. And that's a fairly modest, I think, and reasonable assumption as far as a qualifier. I Mm -hmm. probably would have moved the threshold higher, honestly. I probably would have made it 5,000 subscribers because I would have believed that (laughs) 5,000 human beings is for certain features. For community, yeah. Gotcha. The live streaming, the monetization because it's unfair for advertisers to be associated with bad actors. And to be tied to saying in the media, oh, you're financing or supporting that. Did you know that? They don't want to be answered for that because I'm like, we bought a bulk ad spend. We have no idea what our ads are playing on. The issue of features and gated features I know comes up and I know people have questions about it. I want people to step back and realize the reasoning is responsibility and community vetting. And I'm not like YouTube's like spokesperson or white (laughs) knight here. You don't work for it. I'm just a rational human being. Yes. I want you to get your take on, because we're kind of going in live stuff. And I've heard a lot of, you know, different people say that, you know, YouTube updates are for search, you know, uploading videos, but YouTube live is for your community. Can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, we, you kind of told, you know, about building community, what we just talked about. So how can we use each of those formats strategically? It can be both. Okay. Live streams can be both. And the person I believe who's most effectively doing this with this format is, Sean Cannell Mm -hmm. in one way. And then more recently, Gary Vaynerchuk with his Tea with Gary V series. Sean Cannell's live streams are done in such a way for him on um, his main YouTube channel and all uh, with Think Media. And then also what he does with video influencers when he interviews guests, myself included. The value and the benefit of that is he produces it in such a way where you get a typical intro from him that's a pre-recorded intro in his live format. And then he runs through material and it's great. And it's really like watching a tutorial style video. And the thing is, you get to be in a live viewing audience for that. And then there's interaction at the end when he's gotten through the main value for the replay viewer. And so he does it in such a way that there's structure and that there's the support of the community. And that's very powerful. Tea with Gary Vee is valuable because we're watching a conversation format similar to maybe Joe Rogan's podcast. Mm-hmm. And the replay value is there. Joe Rogan, as a podcast, has replay value because you want to watch the conversation. They then take clips and re-upload that as a clip show. But it's valuable to watch this in live real time, even mm-hmm. though there's not audience participation while you're watching it live. You just are sitting there and you in real time get to be a fly on the wall. And if you don't have the time for that, and you get to interact with the other people, right. you know, But if you don't have the time for that, you watch the replay and then you're interacting in the comment section. So the difference is 
live video can have replay value if that's your intention and it's structured in that way. It also can have SEO value because using the new YouTube live setup, you can actually optimize your video with the appropriate tags and descriptions and all of those things, just like you would a recorded video before you're live. And right. you can also, again, schedule it well in advance and have your live viewing audience gotcha. hyped up for it. You can start ranking in search before the video is even live. That's the beauty of it. That's it also cool. gives YouTube lead time to find people who might be interested in that cast or that episode or that live stream when it is going to go live because they're like, ooh, that's the guest right. or that's the right. topic or that's the – so the thing is I think it's very valuable, especially if you have guests. That is like one of the best things. If you're doing a podcast and you're doing it basically live to tape, that's mm. one of the best things you can do. And I feel that that's what we have to understand about this versus just traditionally uploading a video on demand based video. Is gotcha. that this is an expansion of our capabilities? I just think that most people don't consider programming formats in general when they make content, whether it's recorded video or live or a premiere. There's a strategy that's appropriate to maximize each of these different approaches and formats. And that's where I specialize in. I specialize in content strategy. Right. Not just the tactical parts of SEO, but about building a programming schedule, but also adjusting the format of how a video is made of like, this is how we take live streams and we turn it into a show. Gotcha. And a show has predictable segments. It has structure. This is the part where we move to the live audience. This is the part where we pull back and we engage with this. This is the part where we highlight and make our guests shine the most. Here's these structures and formats. I go back to Sean Canal. Whenever he interviews people at the end of his thing, he has lightning round where he asks them right. these questions. Right. Lightning round could be a clip show segment that could be spun off to just a really right. entertaining piece of content for Instagram, Facebook, and even another YouTube channel where you just have a – and you could make compilation videos because he asks similar overlapping questions. Then he asks some ones specific to the right. guest. When it's the similar overlapping questions, I thought of this strategy myself is you could just – farm compilation videos right. where you literally are now making a thumbnail where you have five guests. And so maybe it's Gary Vee, Roberto Blake, Amy okay. Landino, Sonny, Leonard Doozy, <laughs> and Nick Nimmin. And you have like, you know, five reactions from like, you know, each like, one of them. Um, yeah. Since we're talking about lightning rounds, we're going to have to go to a lightning round here pretty soon. But um, because I wanted to ask you, because there's some of this new news that is another way to create content on YouTube, which is. Oh, I love this. So Grace, break this down for us, because I know you did a lot of research on this. Okay, so rumor has it, YouTube is planning to launch an in-app feature to compete with none other than TikTok. Yes. So according to the information, YouTube is planning a serious counterattack on this new viral media platform. And don't we know everyone wants to be on TikTok, even YouTube, right? So yeah. notably, it's going to live <laughs> within the YouTube app, so on Android and on iOS, rather than being a standalone app. And according to several publications, you know, this could be a serious threat to TikTok, right? Which already has amassed like over 2 billion downloads globally. And I'm seeing TikTok, especially after social media marketing world this year, like blow up. Like I've seen so many more people my age on it, including my daughter. So, That's right. You know, I call her an almost teen. So, yeah. but she's basically it. She's pretty. Yeah, she's pretty. Yeah, uh, so as a YouTube expert, what are your thoughts on these? Oh, and by the way, the product's called Shorts. So mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on shorts? So I'm all for this and everything like that. And it's uh, it's hilarious because like in a very aggressive fashion, it's like, you know, YouTube just decided to choke slam TikTok. I'm a WWE fan. So it's like, <laughs> it's like this is like, OK, this is literally Psycho Sid deciding to power bomb TikTok through the mat. YouTube is Psycho Sid in this analogy. TikTok is like The Undertaker or something. And like, you know, it's like, OK, I'm just going to power bomb you right, right through the wrestling floor mat right now. It's like, uh, so sorry that had to happen to you. It's a shame. Like, I have nothing against TikTok, but here's the thing. YouTube, I've said, uh, is impossible to compete with for years. And creators hate when I say this because, like, yes, when things compete, it gets better for the consumer. But, like, YouTube literally just makes the best of everything they do for the most part. And no one wants to use the second or third best app in the world. And YouTube has 15 years advantage of brand awareness of building up a household name. And YouTube has the advantage of the largest 
advertising platform in the world, Google, which means it immediately has a money funnel for creators who make short form content. This also addresses the issues with the YouTube algorithm, prioritizing watch time and long form engagement to give something back to content creators who specialize in skits, short form content, animation, and comedy. And it gives them the other thing that TikTok doesn't, which is the search engine, the most powerful aspect of YouTube. Then it already has the larger overall audience because it has 2 billion monthly logged in users. So this is literally devastating. I don't think it's a death blow to TikTok, but TikTok, in my opinion, doesn't have a real competitor. Sorry, bite. Like, (laughs) but the other compelling aspect is everyone knows that the only real two strong platforms to go to to make money are YouTube and Twitch. Mm-hmm. YouTube and Twitch are the biggest players in monetizing full-time creators. YouTube and Twitch are pretty much the only platforms that through direct monetization have produced multimillionaires. So that's ha- going to be attractive to an entire and not just a generation of young creators. It's going to attract artists, musicians, sketch comedians of all ages, animators, special effects people, people who do close-up magic. It's going to allow them to also directly activate a potential audience on a channel they may not have gotten traction on before because it's digestible, easy to consume content. And even I will be able to benefit from this because my content is so long form that I'll have a gateway to a new audience to introduce myself to them easily and then get them to say I'm worth investing 20 minutes in to watch a video. How does this alleged new product, right, compare to YouTube stories? Because that's a thing that came out a little while ago. It will be better than YouTube stories. It may be an expansion of it. It may replace it. I don't know. In my opinion, I think that they should basically replace YouTube stories with this, but I don't think they will. But I would be ecstatic if they did. (laughs) But if they don't, here's my thought. I think that they can expand YouTube stories in such a way to where it actually should be a genuine alternative or expansion or a real place to repurpose Instagram or Snapchat stories Mm -hmm. that people may still be using because somehow people are still using Snapchat. I don't know why. (laughs) The uh, Sorry, Snapchat. I probably shouldn't have said that considering that like that hurts my stock price. So <laughs> that's <laughs> Oops. But the, whoops. Yeah. But I think that it should be an expansion to the YouTube ecosystem right. Right. of how we can create content. Because I think that the thing that YouTube offers the best thing for is that now it has a variety of ways, a larger variety of ways for you to be a content creator. You can be a live streamer on YouTube. You can be a podcast host on YouTube, either video on demand, live or both. You now can have interaction directly in a very short form, realistic, hey, how's it going? Instead of making update videos that hurt your performance on your overall channel, you can update your audience through these stories now. And I also think that shorts is a great way to offer true things like behind the scenes or just short form content that doesn't take anything away from the content you want to have on your main channel. Because the issue has always been the struggle for content creators of, I want to do these other things, but it doesn't fit the overall channel I have or the brand or the audience or what my audience signed up for. Mm -hmm. Giving us stories and shorts gives us a maximum amount of creative outlets without having to leave the YouTube ecosystem and expand to other platforms and learn their quirks and their nuances versus just expanding our toolkit and making YouTube the true all-in-one platform, the greatest Swiss Army knife of all time. (laughs) And I think that that is the smartest strategy for them to do because YouTube, unlike many of these other platforms, It only has the difference I've always said between YouTube and Facebook and why I never believed Facebook was direct competition for YouTube, why I've never believed Amazon was direct competition from Mm -hmm. YouTube is the smartest thing that Google did within YouTube was give it a certain amount of autonomy to Mm -hmm. and to keep its own brand and its own identity to only focus on video and to become the best video platform in the world. And it's had about roughly 15 years to do that because it was founded in February of 2005, acquired by Google in November of 2006 in its infancy. And the smartest thing that's done is not try to do all things and compete on all things. It has, however, decided that anything video is the thing that it is going to dominate. And it should focus, in my opinion, 
on delivering a superior video experience in all things video, meaning it should put all of its effort into being the best live streaming platform in the world and offer more features, which I kind of think it does, honestly, and a better experience. I mean, it can do a little bit better. Before you go on, I want to highlight something that you said, Roberto, because you you, you slipped it in so smoothly. And I want to make sure people hear it is that these new products that they're rolling out is a great way to experiment with things, right? To experiment mm-hmm. those changes or new experiences. Or if you want to try something out, what I'm hearing you say is that it seems like a very easy way a low risk way to test out these new things with your audience. And like, I want to highlight that first and foremost, right? Exactly. I think the, um, and then we get to talk about bulletins because think about this, even with YouTube's post feature in the community tab, Mm -hmm. the benefit of that has been, we've been able to directly communicate with our audience using gifts as memes, photos from behind the scenes of something we're doing that we want to tease, getting feedback on an unlisted video from our audience, running polls to vet our community to see what they're most excited about out of all the things we could do, or even just give them a post of a life update of, hey, here's what's going on with me, or we can promote our merchandise, or we can send them the link (laughs) to our website to read an article that we wrote or a letter that we wrote to them, join our email list. Like It gave us these options and features that allowed us to have more of a community and to also say, hey, if we want our community to engage somewhere else, we have a way to do that without it being penalized on a video that we want to keep all the traffic on and keep people on the YouTube platform. So they gave us more freedom and they gave us choices. They sometimes limit our access to these features to make sure that we will use them responsibly, which I think is fair. So Roberto, speaking of places to go, because if people haven't figured out where about this, but you know, YouTube, you know, a lot of stuff. And we've got Janet here waiting in the wings. We want to be able to bring her on, but uh, can you tell us uh, robertoblake.com, but where else can they find out all about you? So you guys can follow me at Roberto Blake everywhere, Twitter, Instagram. I'm at Roberto Blake everywhere in social media. I also have robertoblake.com. If you want to follow me on YouTube, you go to youtube.com slash Roberto Blake two, just like the number two. My name was like not available for some reason. <laughs> and if you ever want to work with me one-on-one to better understand YouTube, you can go to awesomecreatoracademy.com and we can figure out how to work together. Awesome. That's Thanks, great, Roberto. Roberto, so much for being here. We appreciate your time and your knowledge. Oh my gosh, it was amazing. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't take notes fast enough because I'm pressing <laughs> buttons. But anyway, thanks, Roberto. We'll see you next time. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, love you guys. Bye, Thank Roberto. you right, so bye. much. Thank, Thank you, everyone. Have a wonderful rest of your day. All Stay right. awesome. Okay, Thank bye. Thank you. Bye, Roberto. So I wanted to clarify some questions and the, there are some questions in the comments about this new product, the shorts. They are not rolled out. This was something that um, was just put in the news that we were reporting on. So it is supposed to come out later this year. We'll probably find out more as soon as it, it does. And when they do, we will be sure to update you. But next up, we have Janet Murray here. She's going to talk to us about the new Facebook tools to support local business owners. And on that note, how to build and stay engaged with your online audiences. So excited to have you here, Janet. Yeah. So I've been a fan of Janet for a long time. So, so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me, which is a very British thing to say. Isn't it? <laughs> it but, is. Um, very... <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. So Janet is the go-to expert on building engaging online audiences, and she's host of one of the UK's top ranking businesses and marketing podcasts, The Janet Murray Show. Great title. So we are very happy you're here today, but uh, Grace is going to break down this some new Facebook tools, and I can't wait to hear what you have to say about it. Absolutely. Hi, Janet. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. It's nice and sunny here. It's another British thing we do, obviously, is talk about the weather all the time. <laughs> but it's sunny and it's warm, which is quite unusual for us. So, you know, we're happy, even in lockdown. Oh, absolutely. So speaking of lockdown, Facebook has been rolling out some new features, as Jeff mentioned, to local businesses to help them deal with effects of the shutdown. So I want to talk about these one by one. The first thing is that they committed $100 million globally in a grant program to support small businesses around the world. Uh, $40 million of that is uh, earmarked to support over 10,000 U.S.-based small businesses. So that leaves another $60 million, I guess, for the rest of the world. So um, there's an application on their site to help out with that. They're also rolling out some new ways for businesses to fund themselves at this time. So one of them is they are now allowing people and providing the technology to support things called 
digital gift cards. So while it may not be feasible to go to your physical store, physically go to your store, your brick and mortar and get that gift card and pay for it, you can now do it through Facebook. And then the other thing was uh, the personal fundraisers. So could you give us some insights into how these might work and how easy or hard they might be to set up? Because they sound lovely to me, but I've never tried to set one up. So I've been having a bit of a play around today and uh, having a look at how you set them up. And they both look really, really easy and really intuitive. Um, the digital gift card is a lovely idea because I think if, particularly if you're a restaurant or if you are um, a cafe or something like that and you can't do business, um, what you can do is you can invite your customers to buy a voucher uh, for future. So it could be buying a coffee or buying a meal with you or maybe gift one to a friend. And it's a way of, of them kind of you keeping them engaged with you and sort of saying, you know, we will be able to do business with you later. And, um, and, and they can also share that with their friends as well. And, you know, it's just a really fantastic way to keep engaged with your audience and your customers and to make sure they don't forget about you. Because I think that's one of the, mm-hmm. the most challenging things at the moment is um, I've seen a lot of small businesses who have just pretty much disappeared from social media and it's an awkward time they don't know what to say so they're saying absolutely nothing at all i think it's a really really positive way for small businesses and it's really easy and straightforward to set up and we're playing around with it today it's it's really easy even if you're not like massively you know brilliant with tech um so i think it's a really lovely idea and i think it will be really popular with particularly as restaurant owners i think and cafes that kind of thing and people who run online gift stores or products i think it'll work really really well so the last kind of update that facebook is talking about they said they're making it easier for businesses to communicate like temporary service changes to their customers so what happens is businesses can go access this feature by going to their page settings their page info hours select temporary service changes and there they can either indicate that the location is temporarily closed or select from multiple options under open with service uh, changes like that they do online services delivery pickup and other things if they want to you know put special hours for the elderly you know, and the gift cards you just mentioned that they have for purchases. So what have you seen? I mean, because I have a feeling those people you just mentioned who aren't even saying anything on social haven't even done this much. Uh, So what are some other ways like page owners and businesses can use Facebook to manage and communicate like quick changes to their businesses if they're offering new services? I think the key thing is just to stay really visible and to show up every day and to show up more than you have been doing uh, up until this point. I think, like I say, a lot of small business owners have just been kind of terrified. They don't know what to post. One thing that I've been recommending all of my clients do is to publish something called a positioning statement, I call it. It's just a fancy word for just telling people like what you're up to and you know, telling people whether you're still trading or not trading, if you are trading, like being really clear about what you're doing and what you're not doing. I know certainly in the UK, I don't know if this has happened um, where you are, but we've had some small business owners who've actually had um, quite a lot of criticism for carrying on trading. So I think it's really important that if you are going to carry on trading, that you put out some kind of positioning statement on your page, ideally, where you explain if you're going to be trading, how you're going to be trading, why, and you explain that really clearly to your customers and you talk about you know some of the precautions that you might have taken to make sure that you, know, you are doing business safely and all that kind of thing. And I'd actually recommend that that would be the kind of thing that you might want to pin to the top of your page or you might want to mm. kind of keep quite prominent on your page. Um, but the key thing for me is about just showing up regularly and showing up more than you would do otherwise. Live video is obviously a great way to do that, even if you can't run your business at the moment you could can be sharing behind the scenes footage you can be kind of showing people what you're up to and even if you're only partially open you can be giving people a bit of an idea of of what you are up to or giving them like a kind of show round of your studio or show round of your shop or it's just so important I think to keep in touch and not to hide away and to show up every day and just keep telling people what you're up to obviously changing it up using poll features using live video if you're using a messenger bot um, like I use on my page this is a great opportunity one thing that I did actually quite early on in the coronavirus crisis is I actually created a survey for Mm. small business owners Uh, it just had five 
questions where I asked people to just talk about how they were being affected by the business. It was a great way to, sorry, by the crisis, it was a great way to get people engaged. And I, I was actually then able to turn some of that data that I got into content, which kept people engaged. So I think it's just about being really creative, about mixing it up, about using all of the different tools that you've got. And of course, ads as well. Ads are really cheap at the moment. Right. Uh, so now, now is the time actually to do some engagement ads. I had um, I, I had a Facebook ads expert on a class that I was teaching earlier on today, and she was saying like, now is the time to do engagement ads. You know, to take a piece of content that's working really well, a really, really successful organic piece of content on your page, and to put some money behind it because you're going to get more bang for your buck, basically. Awesome. So- Janet, we have a lot of uh, people in our audience that tend to be very tactical, right? So have you seen or would you be willing to share some great examples of companies that are doing a good job of nurturing their relationship and communities right now? Like what are some of your own clients and the people that you've been working with? What are they doing right now? So some of the most innovative things I've seen my clients doing is actually creating products or services that are really responsive to the crisis. So, for example, one of my clients, Nadia, who she runs a company over in Guernsey in the Channel Islands. And she was actually put in this really awkward situation. She's got this business where she sells uh, gifts and she, she designs her own textiles and she sells the gifts and homeware. And she was basically told that she couldn't stop and you know, she couldn't trade. She couldn't trade. She had to stop trading. They've just relaxed the rules a little bit. So what she's done is she's involved her audience in creating products with her. So she said, I want to create a product that you can send to a relative uh, who you can't see at the moment. I want, I want you to, to help me come up with some ideas um, as to what you could send to, to you know, your granny or to your cousin or your sister or something like that. So she actually asked that question on her page, got people involved in a discussion, and she's created this that beautiful, uh, they're kind of like, uh, she's got phone cases and she's got pouches and things like that. So she's actually working with her audience to create a product like she's getting them involved in a conversation and she's creating the products that they want so I think it's that kind of thing that I'm seeing I'm also seeing some of my clients so I've got Pilates instructors yoga instructors dance instructors I've got a florist that I work with and they're basically jumping on their page like every day and they're doing live classes or they they're um you know doing all sorts of different things to get to keep their audience engaged Mm -hmm. but it just comes back to that thing of just showing up and showing up really regularly gotcha so you know you're kind of the uh the go-to expert on uh building communities like we've talked about so how can business small businesses use their facebook to build their email list because i know you're big on this and use their email list to push traffic to their facebook page so how can they work together like in in this time so I'd love to know your thoughts. So I think one of the things I would say at the moment is if you don't have a massive email list, it does take a little bit of time to build Mm. an email list. And you need to build that no like, and trust. So you can't just kind of just get out there and sort of say, hey, I've created this. Well, you can get out there and you can create lead magnet and get people to start downloading them. Um, But what I would actually be thinking about first, and the first step would be about just really trying to increase the engagement on your page. So showing up more regularly, uh, creating more engaging, interactive content. Um, the kind of things that work really well, and I'm seeing work really well at the moment, is interactive quizzes and polls and that kind of thing. And in particular, something that's worked really well in my own business as well is using is using a messenger bot to to get involved. And again, you know, we talked about that survey that I created before, mm-hmm. so that you can get people's email list. So that survey is probably quite a good example. Um, you can get some opinions from people. Uh, you can find out what they're thinking, what they're struggling with, and then you can give them the next step. Um, so I would actually think about ways that you can actually, rather than just kind of like, you know, pummel people with your latest lead packet, but actually get them involved in more of a conversation. Does that make sense? So if you can create some kind yeah. of quiz or some kind of poll where you're asking them um, to give you, you know, their opinions and specifically about what's going on at the moment and then deliver them up with a lead magnet that actually really, really addresses that specific problem that they're having. I can see that as being really fun though, right? Like if you do a fun, a fun quiz or a fun game, I think that'd be, mm-hmm. that's a great idea. So how would, and I know we've all got these emails about these companies we've never <laughs> even heard about forever going, this is what we're doing during the crisis, you know, and I, I haven't heard from these people for years. So how would you use that list maybe in the right way during this like current crisis that we're going through? Yeah, I think there's so much noise at the moment, isn't there? Mm-hmm. 
And I think the one thing we can't be is vanilla. So we can't just kind of, you know, here is our response to the crisis. The first thing I did myself was I emailed my list and I, t- I talked to them about why I was going to carry on selling. Um, and I basically said to my list, <laughs> which is, you know, which is quite controversial, I guess. I'm going to be carrying on selling to you. And I believe as a small business owner that it's my responsibility to keep selling. And I think that uh, that's not just about my business, but about the health of the wider economy. And I actually said to my list, if you don't like that, if you feel uncomfortable with it, then now might be the time to leave. Mm-hmm. You're welcome back absolutely right. any time if you want to. <laughs> but, and I got so many responses from that email. I really think you have to put the elephant in the room. I think there's a lot of sensitivity, mm-hmm. particularly around selling at the moment. And there's also a lot of, you know, you talked about building your email list. There's lots of sensitivity even about building your email list. So people, you know, getting offended that you're promoting a lead magnet or getting offended that you're you're promoting a blog post. So I think it's really important that you actually put the elephant in the room and you set out your position and you tell people, this is what I'm going to be doing. This is how I'm going to be communicating with you. And actually gives them an option. Like, actually, if this isn't for you at this time, if it doesn't feel right for you, then fine. But this is how I'm, I'm, I'm going to be doing it. And, and I think I'm having a lot of clients at the moment who are saying to me that they haven't emailed their list for ages. And now they're feeling really awkward about it because it's a bit like, you know, when you you haven't texted a friend for months on end and then you don't know what to say to them. And again, I just would put the elephant in the room and say, look, I know I haven't I know that I haven't emailed you for a while, but actually I've got something really useful for you. And I think that's the thing. People don't care. They don't want an email from you telling right. telling them telling you what their position your position on COVID nineteen is. They want something useful. So, you know, the first thing I did as soon as all of this I could see what was happening is I recorded a couple of additional podcast episodes which were mm. specifically to help my clients during this time. So I think the question you've got to ask yourself is what do my audience need from me right now? What content could I create for them that would actually help them feel better or to help them solve a problem that they've got right now? And so if you're emailing your list for, you know, you haven't maybe been in touch with them for a while or it's your first email since, you know, everything kicked off, mm-hmm. put the elephant in the room, tell people how you're going to be communicating with them and then also give them something valuable, like give them something or ask them what they want, right. you know, rather than just delivering it up to them. Right. What, what would you like from me? Um, you know, make it interactive. Yeah. We have a great question over on Crowdcast from Raju. It says, uh, we have several branches. Do you recommend creating location pages, one per each location, or just use one main page? We use Hootsuite for social media posting. How can I use the tool to monitor and track the activity on each page? I thought this was a really good specific question. What are your thoughts, Janet? I'm never a fan of having more pages than you need to mm. because you're just duplicating work. So I'd always be a fan of making that one that one page work for you and finding a way because it's just duplication of work. And, you know, I don't know what you guys think. What what would you say? I'm the same way. (laughs) The more pages you have, the more headaches it can be. But they were asking if, you know, one per location. And I've seen, so for example, I see a lot of gyms, like maybe they'll have a, like there's a big franchise, let's say Anytime Fitness, but then they Mm -hmm. have individual Facebook pages for their local ones where they can talk to their people there instead of one big page. So on that Mm -hmm. kind of thing, I think makes sense, but just having more pages for the sake of having more pages, I'm I'm with you because that's just adds more work to be done. I think it's also about the resources as well. Like mm-hmm. if you have the resource, if you have a great person who can run your Facebook page in Virginia or whatever, then brilliant. But there's also sort of the quality as well across the across the board. You know, if mm-hmm. you've got somebody great in New York, but you've got you know somebody whose content isn't quite so great in Virginia or whatever, I think right. there's a kind of quality quality control as well. So I think it depends also on the resources that you've got. So uh, we have this question from uh, Ursa on LinkedIn and she goes, what is a fundraiser tool you raised that's used by Facebook? Do you know how to get access to that? I'm not, I'm not really clear of exactly what she was asking there, but um, if you want to do your own Facebook with this, this news that we just said, is there a, a place to apply to do a fundraiser or is this just stuff that we get like for those discount cards? I think you can go, you have to put an application in at this, these certain locations. If I remember the news, right. Is that correct, Grace? I wasn't quite sure about how to use a fundraising tool. I know that you're able to use it to fund, to like support an organization, but this is, I think the first time that they've been able to 
a business owner would be able to use this fundraising tool for themselves. Mm. Janet, can you clarify that point? I don't want to confuse people more than they already are. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's very new. It's only been out in the last week or so, mm. I think, as far as I understand. But yeah, for the first time, you can actually raise money for you personally. What it reminds me of, it's a little bit like the Virgin Giving page or the Just Giving page. So, so I've like run the London Marathon and you, mm. you fill out this page and then you tell your story and you talk about why you're raising money. Uh, but in this case, it's for you. So you can actually specify raising money for a medical emergency for your family, for pets and animals. I'm just looking at my list here and for faith. So I guess for a business owner that is really struggling at the moment. So say, for example, you're a business that isn't able to operate anymore. Then you could potentially use this tool to post on your page and say, look, things are really tough for us at the moment. And you know, we're asking our audience or our customers to kind of stick with us and make a donation or you know I can't feed my kids I can't feed right. my family looking at it it looks like it's really easy to set up it's literally like setting up a just giving page or a virgin page I can add a link I've got the, the direct link for it but it's it's just literally in the back of Facebook um, but it looks really easy and intuitive to set up it looks like you can just set it up in three or four clicks the only problem with it at the moment is that you can donate in pretty much every country but mm. you can't ask for money in lots of countries. So oh, okay. you can in the UK, you can in the US. I was looking before, there's lots of European countries where you can't actually ask for money. But, you know, they said that they're reviewing it and, you know, that might come in the next few weeks. Awesome. And I'm going to drop the link in for uh, our viewers just so they will have that. Uh, I think it's facebook.com forward slash fundraisers is um, where you can get that at. So Janet, I'm so glad we had you on and I would love for you to be able to tell people where they can find more about you. So the best place to find me is um, janetmurray.co.uk. I've also created a special little link that my assistant Sarah is going to drop in. Well, I've got my bot, you know, I was talking about my bot. Right. <laughs> and I've, I've created a special little trigger term. So if you go to Janet Murray UK, which is my Facebook page, and you type in social media examiner or SME, then my bot will send you a little message with um, a few little podcast episodes that I've put together recently, which is specifically about managing your content and building your audience through the crisis. So that's quite and, helpful and, stuff. And for people who are looking on their favorite podcast uh, player, where can they find your podcast and what's the title again? The Janet Murray Show. It's really easy to remember. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Janet, thank you so much for being uh, here for us today and giving us all this knowledge. And uh, I really appreciate it. And have a good one. I'll talk to you guys later. Thank you, Janet. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Wow, what a show today, folks. So we had a lot of news this week. Make sure that you guys go to the uh, special thing that Grace puts together every Saturday. You can find that at socialmediaexaminer.com forward slash news at socialmediaexaminer.com forward slash news. We have all the links that we talked about today, all the stuff that our guests shared, all in one great article where you can even watch the replay of this show. So uh, make sure you guys go there. And don't forget to listen to us over on Apple Podcasts and Google Play and on Spotify. We have new episodes that publish every Saturday. Our next show is on Friday, April 17th at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find out more and get on the calendar at uh, socialmediaexaminer.com forward slash live show. Grace, thank you so much for being here and putting this all together. Yes, thank you to our audience for joining us here on Crowdcast and on Facebook and on LinkedIn and wherever else you may find us. Those of you listening to the podcast, thank you for downloading and hope you're enjoying it. And I want to say a special thank you to Roberto Blake and Janet Murray. They were, uh, this was both their first time to be on our show. Don't know why it took us so long to get the, get them here, but right. I'm so glad that they joined us today. And all the links to their uh, profiles, all the resources can be found on the social media examiner site. So be sure to check them out and find out more from them and about them. Thanks everybody. Bye everyone. The social media marketing talk show is a social media examiner production for more social media insight, visit socialmediaexaminer.com. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top notch social marketing newsletter we deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.